I would want to remind you that there's a note in your program about a budget meeting to take place on the 23rd of this month. That's two weeks from today. And we want as many of you to come to that as possible so that we can discuss and settle on a budget for next year. And the elders will be leading that. I uh, I thought it might be a good idea to do a change-up so you don't have an outline in your program. Uh, uh that means I guess you get back, you get a chance to sit back and relax for a little bit. Uh, the, the title of the sermon was Three Quiet Ways to Commit Murder. And I didn't want to give you any ideas. Uh, not that you would have them anyway, I mean. Um, but I thought it would be a good idea if we took a look at, first of all, our mission statement, one family pursuing one passion, reaching out to all people. And as I looked at that late this week, I, I realized that what Northwest Hills attaches to that mission statement is a part of uh, John 17 the prayer of Christ in the garden before he went to the cross. And I looked at John 17 and I said, that's what we have to discuss this morning. Um, and so I'm going to put a chunk of John 17 on the screen for you and, and we're going to read it piece by piece. And I'm going to give you some words. They all start with S. You know, they have to be alliterated. Uh, and so, um, and we will talk our way through this. I'll probably camp on one part of it a little more than another part. So, um, let's take a look at this. I'm starting at verse 11. This is Jesus praying. He has the cross in front of him within hours. He knows it's going to happen. And he says, Talking to the Father, he says, I will remain in the world no longer. So he's referencing the crucifixion there. But they are still in the world, speaking of the disciples. And I am coming to you, a reference to the resurrection and the ascension. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave to me, so that they may be one as we are one, as we are one. Get that in your mind. That the disciples may be one as the Trinity is one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Remember last week we talked about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the relationship to the two of them. 
Judas and his activity was actually predicted in the Old Testament, his betrayal of Christ. And that's what he's referencing here. The word I would give you for that paragraph is the word security. This speaks about the glory of our eternal security in Jesus. Our protection. The Father protects that salvation. The Son protects that salvation. Imagine if you had to try to keep yourself saved every day. You know, I usually get up between five and six. I would probably make it till five after six. And if you're like me, you could not keep yourself saved. Sin starts early, either by attitude or by word or something of that nature. If it were not for the grace of God and the mercy of God, and we could not stay saved. So we are protected in this eternal security. And then we come to verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may be full, they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I give you the word satisfaction. His desire is that we, or the disciples, at this point in the prayer, might experience his joy. Remember, we talked about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based upon my surroundings, my circumstances. Now, yesterday, Carolyn and I left home very early. I had to be in uh, Portland for an interment at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then a memorial service at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We got home about 7 last night. This was a friend of mine of over 40 years. Uh, he, his name was Ferd Zercher. He was 93 when the Lord took him home. His passion was for God and God's Word. And he also had a passion for uh, climbing mountains and hiking trails. And when he wasn't home, he was probably up in the forest someplace hiking a trail. And I remember hiking with Ferd, how he knew the names of little flowers that I never knew existed. I loved being with him and how he would protect them because they were God's creation. Another thing he had a passion for was one special sleeping bag. He loved that sleeping bag. And his kids buried him in that sleeping bag. Uh, I mean, he had a nice casket, but inside that casket is furred in his sleeping bag. And if happiness is possible, Ferd's got it. Uh, I told Carolyn, you could do that for me. 
except you'd have to bury me in my pickup truck. (laughs) See, happiness is based upon what our surroundings are, what our circumstances are. Joy is based upon what I know about my God and what my relationship is with God. That determines whether or not I have the joy of the Lord. How well do I know God? How close am I to God? How well do I know Jesus? And how close am I to Him? Then I have, that's what Jesus is praying. That we might experience His joy. You know why? Because He was this close to the Father. Remember, He's already introduced the concept of the Trinity here. Then we come to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And I use the word separation here. Separation. Um What he's talking about is the reality that the Christian has to walk a different walk than the world walks. I'm I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I'm not saying anything to you that you haven't already heard. If not from me, then some other preacher or, or the word of God. The Christian has to walk a different walk than the world walks. And the Christian may be persecuted because of that. But God gives us all the resources. He tells us how to deal with temptation in 1 Corinthians 10.13. He tells us how we can win over the tempter in James chapter 4, verse 7. He gives us all the resources to be able to walk that walk, honor God, and still live in the world, but not be part of the world. And then in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. For them I sanctify myself. That they too may be truly sanctified. Now, the word that he uses for sanctify is the Greek word hagios. Hagios. It's, it's an interesting word because in the New Testament, it's translated three different ways. It's translated as it is here, sanctify. It's translated holy. And, and I'm guessing that the reason it's translated holy in the New Testament is probably because there isn't a better word in Koine Greek for holiness. Um, And then the final translation is, it's translated separate or separate. Uh, the, The primary meaning of the word is to be separated. The primary meaning of the word is that you separate, uh, uh, to something. So the word I give you here is sanctification. In other words, Jesus prayed that his people would be set apart separated for exclusive use by God. Now, 
I don't have any question in my mind that God has his hand on Josh Carstensen. I believe God has separated him out for a task that we don't even know about yet. And I believe if I live long enough, I'm going to be hearing about great ministries that Josh Carstensen is doing. He is a man of God whose heart is with God, who's, who's, who has a shepherd's heart, and uh, I believe God is going to use him. Uh, and this word that he uses for sanctification, hagios, literally means that when you are sanctified, you are set aside for purposes that God has for you. You have a destiny. You cannot outlive that destiny. You can't sin bad enough so that that destiny can't happen because God set a destiny for you. You know, Josh and I have talked about this and um, weeks ago we said we know God has this figured out. When Josh was wondering how it's going to go, weeks ago we said, we know God's got this figured out. He, uh, he, uh, God made this decision before Josh and I were born. He even made it before Don Snow was born. Uh, so, so God had this figured out. And this week, uh, after we knew the outcome, and Josh and I spent time together. We reiterated that. God knows. God, God did this. God figured it out. God made this decision. And as a result, um, uh, Josh is comfortable with that. Josh is, is going to be okay. I, I can promise you that. Um, my counsel to Josh now is that you become the best associate pastor of adult ministries on the planet. And wait and see what God's going to do. Because I believe God's going to do something. So as a result, he is separated, and each one of us is too. Then we come to verse 20. And I'd like to camp here for just a little bit, if you don't mind. Let me start with verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. See, he's been praying for the disciples. He's been talking about the disciples who are praying, supposedly, a little further away from him, except they're sound asleep. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who that is? That's you and that's me. That's you and that's me. That's everybody who would come to know Christ because the disciples went out and preached the truth. Oh, by the way, that sanctification, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. Listen, if you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to grow in the Lord, it only comes by this. You can come and listen to the preacher forever, and you will learn some stuff. But you don't get any true sanctification without the Word of God. 
And so he says, I'm praying for all of those people in every church and even Northwest Hills Community Church, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He is talking about the Trinity again. He is talking about you and me being in the same unity that the Father and the Son are in, in the Trinity. Can you wrap your mind around that? The answer is no. I can tell you right now, doesn't matter how smart you are. You can't wrap your mind around what goes on in the context of the unity of the Trinity. And yet, Jesus is praying earnestly that you and I would be in unity the way the Trinity is in you. He doesn't stop there. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. So as we participate as part of the Trinity... The world gets the gospel. I have given them the glory you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Once again, he connects the Trinity with the church. He puts the Trinity together with the church. Now, now I, I don't have time this morning, and I... If I had all the time in the world, I couldn't explain the Trinity to you. The Trinity is difficult. When I'm explaining it to a child, I explain that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, but they are one. And I usually use water. It's the best illustration I know. It's feeble, but it's the best illustration I know. That water can be liquid, it can be solid, or it can be gas, but it's all H2O. And God can be Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, but it is all God. It is all deity. And that's as close as I can, be, as I can come. But let me explain some theology to you very briefly. The Trinity has unity. The Trinity has unity first in role. They all know what their role is. Second, they have Trinity in responsibility. They all know what their responsibility is. Thirdly, they have unity in communication. See, if I were preaching all of this, I would be giving you all of this and applying it to us. But I don't have time to do that. Communication. Fourthly, they have uh, unity in submission to each other, they submit to one another. Did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that you and I have to be willing to submit to each other, to one another? Uh, number, uh, number five, they are in unity in unity. They are unified in their thinking, in their thought processes, in everything that they do. And number six, finally, they are in unity with intimacy. They are intimately 
related. And um, I, I, I was reading uh, Peanuts cartoon not long ago. And the cartoon has Lucy walking into a room and Linus is watching television. And Lucy says, change the channel. And she holds her fist up to him like this. And Linus says, uh, what makes you think you can walk in here and take over? She said, these five fingers. See that? When they're apart, they're nothing. But when I join them together like this, they become a force to be reckoned with. And Linus says, what channel you want? And then in the next frame, he, he looks down at his hand and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> See, this concept of unity is what Jesus is praying for, crying for, sweating blood over this concept of unity. I in them, you in me, so that they may that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them and, I, and have loved them even as you have loved me. This concept of unity becomes incredibly important today now that we have something in front of us where we might have a tendency not to be unified over. Uh, there's two wonderful books on the market, um, both written by A.W. Tozer. Uh, Tozer, I love Tozer. He was basically an uneducated man. Did you know that? He had no education. Um, um, he wrote, uh, the Knowledge of the Holy. And I have given that book to every one of our staff members. I, I read that book once a year. Uh, uh, it is a book that I highly recommend. It's not a hard read. It's not a long book. I recommend you get The Knowledge of the Holy. The second one is The Pursuit of God. And in The Pursuit of God, he addresses this business of unity. And he says... You put a hundred pianos in a room. And he said, you tune every one of them to the same fork. Now, let me explain that to you. I know this much about piano tuning. They start with letter A above middle C. And they tune letter A to 440 hertz. That's vibrations per second. And they tune letter A to 440 hertz. Everything else on the piano is tuned to that letter A at 440 hertz. And if every piano in the room is tuned to that letter A, 440 hertz, every piano in the room will be in tune with the other pianos. You got to grab this. 
It's incredibly important. What I'm talking about here is solidarity. And, and Jesus is praying here that his people would be one. That is, he wants them to walk in unity. And I've given you a bunch of other verses there that will talk about the same thing. Once every one of these pianos is tuned to the same fork, every one of those pianos will be in tune with every other piano in the room. So you could sit down and play any one of them. That's, that's how they do... Uh, Multi-piano concerts, they tune every piano to the same fork. See, what I'm saying there is that unity, a definition of unity, really is, bring up the next slide, Cassius. Unity comes when every person is tuned to a higher standard to which each one must individually bow. You don't have to be in tune with the Board of Elders at this point. You don't have to be in tune with me. You don't have to be in tune with Rich Hagenbaugh. You don't have to be in tune uh, with the person sitting next to you. You simply have to be in tune to that higher standard, that single fork which is God and his word. And when you are in tune to that, you will be in tune to everybody else in the room. Does that mean we're all going to think alike? No. Does that mean we're all going to look alike? No. Every piano may be by a different manufacturer. Some may be uprights. Some may be spinets. Some may be uh, 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 grands. They will all look different. They may have different colors. They may have different many things. But if they are all tuned to the same fork, they are all in tune with each other. And that's what Jesus wants for us. Um, uh, This board of elders, I want to tell you, went about this job meticulously they prayed they met they prayed they met then they separated and they prayed for a week and then they came back and to the man God led them where God wanted them to go I'm proud of them and I'm proud to be a part of them you will see some things happening you, you will see some changes happening because they're realizing that some changes have to take place. The elders are realizing that. And uh, uh, Carolyn and I are here for the duration. When you get a new pastor, then we're out of here. Um, and uh, uh, it turns out that now Carolyn and I are probably going to join Northwest Hills And I will become a voting member of the Board of Elders. And we will start the process of making some of the changes that will bring more transparency and will bring uh, the people more involved in the ministry. But the reality of it is, the way these guys conducted themselves 
on this issue, I couldn't be prouder. Uh, They depended on God, and God led them, and I'm proud of every one of them. So this whole idea of unity doesn't depend on whether or not you agree with me. doesn't depend on whether or not you like the way I comb my hair. It depends on whether or not you and I separately are tuned to the higher standard, and we bow before that standard. And when that happens, you and I are going to be okay. Unity may be the most important thing that happens in a church. I rate it very high on ministry in a church because I'm convinced that when a church is divided, it, the, the, the ministry suffers. And, uh, and why is unity so important? Here's the reason. Because you and I are living advertisements of Jesus Christ and what he did and the Trinity. Unity is very important. So if, some, if I meet somebody in the grocery store and, uh, and I say, boy, that person, blah, 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 uh, about that person, that is not good. That shows disunity. And Christ and his message suffers. That's why we have to be in unity. Let me finish this briefly. Verse 24, Father, I want, circle the words, I want. There are two words in the Koine Greek that refer to will. The first one is bulamai, bulamai, and it's, it means a wish. It's the word that is used in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, when it says, it is not God's wish that any should perish. So uh, uh, that may or may not happen, but it's not God's wish that any should perish. The other word is fellow, fellow, and that's the word that is used here. And it's a, excuse me, it's a word that implies purpose. It's something that is fixed. It's something that is unalterable. And when Jesus says, I want those, he is saying, it's fixed. It's unalterable. I will have them. I want those whom you have given to me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory that you've given to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And I call that sharing. I mean by sharing that Jesus declares. He just doesn't pray at this point. He declares that we will be with him. Uh, we will share his heavenly home. Uh, and then you come to the last part of the chapter, verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I call that significance. And what I mean by significance is that Jesus says that the significance of God's love in God's people 
is the presence of Jesus himself. So not only do we have to be in unity, not only do we have to be tuned to that higher standard, but we have to be in love with each other and show that love for each other and communicate that love for each other. And then we can know and be assured that Jesus is in our presence, that he is here. So as you think about this decision, I'm not asking you to agree with it. I'm simply asking you to throw yourself on the mercy seat, submit to God at this point, and uh, be willing to submit to that higher authority. And as we do that together, we are going to be okay in this process. You may be visiting with us today, and obviously this is a different service. Uh, It's a different kind of preaching because I usually give you an outline and make you work during the sermon uh, by filling in parts of the outline, and uh, we'll go back to that next week. We are in a series in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I love the Sermon on the Mount, and actually I've never preached through it before. So this is new for all of us. Um, Also, we take communion here every week. And if you're visiting with us, I want to tell you that uh, we're going to start singing in a little bit. And when we do that, and after you've talked to God and examined your heart, there's a station over there for communion, a station back there, a station over there, and a station over there. And uh, when you are ready... You may rise and you'll see people around you get up and go and get the bread and the cup. Some of our people will find a corner and they'll talk to God and take communion standing in a a corner or along a wall. Carolyn and I always like to just bring it back to our seat, quiet our hearts and take communion as we remember the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's bow together. And pray together. Talk to God. Get our hearts ready for this. Our Father, we thank you today for the Trinity. I think that while a lot of theologians are very smart, this is the one part of God they can't explain. Nobody can explain. And the amazing thing to me is that you want to draw us into the Trinity. You want to show us what real unity looks like. Father, as we are before you this morning, we don't know what the future holds for Northwest Hills, who's going to be the pastor, what direction we will go. 
what ministry will look like. We don't know, Father, as individuals, whether we will live out the day. But, Father, the one who does know is the one who is in charge. And we want, Father, to be tuned into you. We don't. We love each other. We want to show that love for each other. But we want, Father, to be tuned into you. And that will tune us to each other. And God, we thank you today for what you've done for us, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing your body to be broken, your blood to be shed on our behalf. As we pause in these moments and take the bread and the cup, we ask you, Father, to minister to us. Some of us may need to say to you, I'm not tuned in to the right stuff. I want to do that. So, God, we give ourselves to you. Ask you to bless each of us individually. Bless us corporately. Bless our church. Bless our elders and our search team. Minister, Father, to every one of them. And we will thank you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.